It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Les Brown. Welcome to the show, Les. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure to, to be with you, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, helping people to recognize their specialness and connecting with their superpower. I believe that we all have it. They say the two most important days in your life is the day that you're born and the day that you realize why you were born. And I believe that when we discover why we are here, that connects you with your superpower. So it's an honor, sir, to be with you. I thank you so much. And I came into this racking my brain, Liz, about all kinds of interesting questions and, you know, things that, you know, you haven't been asked before and all this other interesting stuff. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm dealing with one of the world's greatest storytellers here. And why don't I just ask him to share some of his favorite stories? the things that you like talking about, because that's going to be interesting to me. And I know the people watching and listening are going to find it fascinating too. So what have you got, Les, that you want to share with the world today? Well, I just finished writing my book called You've Got to Be Hungry. And I was talking to some second graders the other day, and a little girl asked me a question. When I was holding the book up like that, she held her hand up. She said, how did you come up with that name? <laughs> I said, what? You got to be hungry. Are we talking about food or hungry for what? I said, how old are you? She said, I'm seven. <laughs> I said, okay. She said, does it matter? I said, no, no, not at all, not at all. Okay, this is a second grader, all right? And I said, because of experiences that I had as a child and things that I saw, and things that I couldn't do, and things that were stacked against me, and people that looked like me, that I had to be hungry meant that I had to be determined and unstoppable and willing to fail my way forward and not allow anything to stop me or take my eyes and, and my focus off my dream. And she said, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> And so, to me, that, that was an interesting question between me and a second grader, because these kids, they're old people now when they're born. They come here knowing how to run a computer, and my grandchildren, they're teaching me things that it just seemed like they were born with it. It's a different world. And, and so, 
I'm so glad to still be here after speaking for 51 years and at, at the age of 75, I still have a voice. I can still, still tell a story and, and make an impact. I remember my daughter, my oldest daughter, Dr. Ona Brown, O-N-A, she was at her desk and she called me and she said, Dad, how you doing? I said, great. She said, is this a good time for you? I said, yeah. She said, I'm in the, at a red light and there's a policeman in the center of the road holding up traffic. And then she said, oh my God. I said, baby, what's wrong? She said, her hearse came by and there was only one car behind it. She said, Levitt, when I go, Daddy, I want traffic to be backed up for miles because of the impact of my life. When I go, I want the cemetery to be filled with people who will come out to celebrate the kind of life that I have lived. She said, can you feel me? I said, yes, I do, baby. I can feel you up in here, up in here. And I think all of us have something in us, pardon me, that we want to live the, leave the world better than how we found it. Well, I can't argue with that. And I've often thought about how many people would attend my funeral, which I've been told is quite morbid. But now that you've said that, it makes me feel a lot better about myself. So thanks, Les. Appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, uh, your lovely daughter, Dr. Ona, I, is she your coach as well? Yes, she is. <laughs> what kind of coach? She is my speech coach. We both teach and train speakers how to take their story and make a difference and how to use their story to build a career, to, to monetize their knowledge, their skills, or build an organization, multi-level marketing, or their sales. And I gave a speech and she said to me, she said, I want to, I want to talk to you. Are you coachable? And I'm saying to me, to myself, I know she's not asking me if I coachable and she's going to coach me. So I said, yes, I am. She said, I want to help you with your speech. I said, thank you for your generosity. <laughs> so she said, you talk about the fact that the easiest thing that you've ever done was to earn a million dollars in three years. But the most difficult thing you've ever done was to believe that it could happen to you. And she said, happened is happenstance. It didn't happen to you. The most difficult thing that you've ever gone through was to believe that you can do it. Given your circumstances, born in an abandoned building on a floor in a poor section of Miami, Florida, being adopted, being labeled educable, mentally retarded, and put back from the fifth grade to the fourth grade, and failing again in the eighth grade, and no college training, and competing against people with PhDs and MBAs and infomercials that you didn't have the money for, to believe that you can go against all of that, just your story and your voice, and compete. That to me, that to me, is why I'm proud of you as my father, that you believed in spite of those odds that you could do it. And I said, thank you very much. You are now my coach. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was crying, loving. I was really tossing. I can't believe it. You are my coach. And, and we call her the message with midwife. And she said, Daddy, you teach. You're never too old to learn, and you're never too young to teach. And I've been watching you. And so I thought this was the appropriate time to talk to you. I said, thank you very much, baby. You're still in my will. Thank you. Have you seen the invoices rolling through for that stuff yet, Les? Look here, I've paid several times over. (laughs) It's a proud daddy-daughter moment right there. I can tell you right now. Yes, indeed. uh, She's one of ten children. Yes, five boys and five girls. I, I have a class action suit against the people who came up with the concept of the rhythm method. I think the Catholic Church was involved, so I'm suing them all. <laughs> but the rhythm method does not work. <laughs> I'm working on uh, I'm working on the opposite, so uh, fingers crossed for us, Liz. All right, yes. We've got to put together a brood for the future, continue yes. the legacy. Absolutely, yes. They're 40% of our population, but 100% of our future. Are your children your most proud achievement, do you think? I, the, the, I think that, yes, I, I, the fact that they're independent, they're living life on their terms, that's up there in terms of what I'm proud of. But I'm also proud of a moment in my life that I was going through an abusive experience and I came to the place within myself that I said to myself, I deserve better than this. I deserve better than this. And and in that moment, I made a major decision that took my life in another direction. And I feel that all of us have moments in our lives when we come to ourselves like the prodigal son, that, that many people pass that. But there are some people who take a stand and say, you know what? I'm not going through this anymore. No. I deserve better than this. This is not me. And whatever I have to do, whatever I have to go through, I'm not looking back. This is it. And there's some people right now who, because of the the catastrophic interruptions that we're going through, who've lost family members and friends and lost their job or lost their company or gone through foreclosure, there's some people who decide, I don't want to do, deal with this anymore. And they take a, a permanent solution for a temporary situation. And then there are others. Somebody said that when fear shows up, uh, the majority of people face fear, forget everything and run, but others face fear and rise. And so there, there's a number of people who the 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 circumstances and the events that we're going through now, it, it brings something up out of them. It's a crisis, and crisis in, in the Chinese language, it means danger 
but it also means opportunity. It's an opportunity for them to discover a part of themselves that they don't know right now. And they're willing to, to go there and to challenge themselves and to stretch themselves and to go beyond their comfort zone. And they know that the future belongs to those who have the courage and the willingness to do what's required to rebuild their lives. And they're about the business of doing that. And what are some of the signs that, that you, as an individual, when you're feeling that fear, when your body starts sending you or your mind starts sending you these signals, what kind of things can people keep an, an eye out for and identify them as something that then they can compartmentalize and then go towards it or rise above it, like you say? Like you say? I, I'm glad you asked that because I had a moment yesterday. I had a moment where... I would, I would say a moment of anxiety. And I, I believe, I teach in my book, You've Got to Be Hungry. I said, ask for help, not because you're weak, but because you want to remain strong. And ask for help and don't stop until you get it. I believe in angels. So what are the chances? Am I coming out of my back door, sitting out in a chair, I told my son, get me some cocoa butter. I'm going to get a pan today. <laughs> he said, you are tripping, Dad. And then my next door neighbor, who I just met three weeks ago, he comes out of his back door, and he's a psychiatrist. And I said, sir, we need to talk. I said, I'm feeling anxiety. If I go back in my house, it feels claustrophobic. And... I need to talk to you for a moment. I don't want to violate our friendship or your being a neighbor, but just, just talk for me for a moment. And he did. And we laughed and, and that calmed the feelings that I had. And I, I think that really what got me, I've been dreaming nightly about the kids in the United States that are in cages, separated from their parents. It doesn't come up in the news anymore. These parents will not be able to identify their kids, and the kids will not be able to identify their parents. And even if they do it genetically, the psychological damage that those kids are going through, it's going to be with them for the rest of their lives. Dr. King gave a speech called I Have a Dream, but there was a, a Jewish rabbi behind him whose speech should have lived on. He said, I hope that we as Americans begin to look at who have we been. He said, when something happens, three things goes on. There's a victim, there's a perpetrator, and they're the witness. And people would ask the question, which is the worst? And most people say, of course, the perpetrator. And then some people say the victim because they let it happen. No, he said, the witnesses. Because at any point in time, the witnesses could have stepped in and stopped it. And they did not. They looked the other way. And he said, I hope that we don't become witnesses in this country. And we have. We are looking at 
the worst of the worst in terms of leadership, in terms of horrible things being done to people. And there's a silence, even from the religious community, the religious right, the evangelicals, even though they hold a book that said, the least that you do unto these, my brethren, you also do it unto me. And for most of my life, I was a community activist, and then I became a state legislator. And now I, I speak to corporations and organizations around the world. And now I'm spending the majority of my life training speakers. I, I will not get on an airplane anymore. My hair indicates that I won't even let my barber come to my house. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life training speakers how to tell their story, how to create an experience with their story, and, and, and being able to impact people individually and collectively. What gave me a through in this industry, it was based upon the information that the speakers gleam from Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Well, I worked for Napoleon Hill. He had the complexion of connection. I didn't have that. I had the complexion of rejection. At the time he wrote that, the laws of this country said I couldn't vote. The laws of this country said I had to go past a yellow line and, and sit in the back of the bus. The laws of this country said we will be the last hired and the first fired. And so I had to learn how to overcome that, having the complexion of rejection. And the way that you transcend things that have been stacked against you, you have to make yourself stand out in a positive way. Hendrick David Thoreau said, do not go where the path may lead, go where there's no path and leave a trail. So while they were advancing with information, my mentor, Mike Williams, he wrote a book called The Road to Your Best Stuff. And, and he taught me, he said, Browning, if information could change people, everybody would be skinny, rich, and happy. He said, I want you to advance with your story. Stories have a human face. Stories touch the heart. We are basically emotional people. He said, you want to deliver your message so you expand a person's vision beyond the mental conditioning, the adverse circumstances they're dealing with, touch their heart, and ignite their spirit so that they'll make different choices as they go forward, so that they become a, a, like a pencil in the hand of God, as Mother Teresa would say, and start writing a new chapter with their lives. And so I've done that. That's why when I train speakers, I spend time with them, learning their story and how they can take their story and make their lives recession-proof. They can take their story and make them. Mark Harz man said, we should be ashamed to die until we've made some major contribution to humankind. And so they can take their story and make a difference and to create wealth as well. And to me, that combination, it doesn't get any better than that. That's a good combo, Liz. Not going to lie to you. <laughs> who were some of your proudest students from the speaking training that you delivered over the years do you think tracy nc grant stacy nc grant she she has a, a a book called action action 
despite the, the distractions of life. I wrote the forward for that. And Tracy Lynn, she, Tracy Lynn Jewelry, she's the CEO and founder of a multi-million dollar jewelry company. Johnny Wimbry, he wrote a book called From the Hood to Doing Good. He was an ex-felon, and now he's the first student that I had that earned a million dollars faster than I did. He's awesome. Andy Enriquez, another one. Um, John Garcia. Kim Watt. I, I, I love watching the speakers that are serious, that are competitive, that are hungry, and that I can hear their footsteps. They always say, we coming for you, old man. I said, well, you know what? I said, young brooms be clean, but old broom know where to go. You better come on and bring it with everything you got. So they are coming for me, and I know it. I know it. <laughs> so I'm very proud of them. I've got some speakers uh, that are awesome, and I'm, that can go toe-to-toe with me at any given night. And, and it's, if, you're in, if you're decent at all as a coach, all your students will pass you, the ones that are hungry. <laughs> for, for people listening to this, Les, and that are mortified of public speaking or speaking in general, which I, it's one of the greatest fears. I'm so fears, glad right? you're asking that question. Well, what you do you say what? to them? Can you teach because this to anyone? that's over. That's over. You know why? This is the new normal. This is the new normal. 2007 Time Magazine said, the computer is the person of the year. The fear is based upon standing up, speaking to people. Now you can speak in the living room. I made $165,000 the other day in my living room. In front of the computer, looking at a camera, not people looking at a camera. There are people who are earning millions of dollars looking at a camera. Alicia Little, uh, she lives in Jamaica. She goes back and forth. She bought the Bob Marley mansion. And she and her sister, Lorette, they earn over eighty dollars to $100,000 a month talking to a camera. So knowledge is the new currency. So if a person get a book, the book enhances your credibility. And they take that book and expand that book into an online course. And they go around and speak and and using the five principles of the irresistible sale, they could literally convert 35% of those audiences to purchase their online course or their book or the recordings that they have and earn a minimum of a hundred to $200,000 if they screwed it up before the end of the year. So the computer, it makes it, it, the reason they named the computer the person of the year because it provides information, but also you can run a global business from your computer or from your telephone. And, and so it's, it's easier now to control your own personal economy and to bet on yourself and, and know that, that there's something about you that you love that, that other people love as well. Some skill that you have that, that somebody will be willing to pay for that. And they're all over the globe. I get 
emails from people from around the world saying, hey, listen, I was in a dark spot and I read your book and you helped me to come out and into the sunshine and live my life authentically. I'm not hiding out anymore. There are people, Levin, that when I speak, they're going to hear my voice. But there's people that when you speak and I speak, they will hear the two of us. But there are people, Levin, that when you speak, something about you, something about your personality, something about what you have experienced, something about your energy signature, that they will hear you, not just in their 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 ears, but in their mind and in their heart. And they become a part of your tribe. And they will follow you. They will purchase the materials that they have, that you have. They want a part of you to be a part of their lives because it reminds them that if Levin can do it, I can do it too. Does that make sense? Amen, brother. Amen to that. Do you find that it works in the opposite way as well with people that aren't supposed to be in your life when you are being true to yourself and true to your convictions, you tend to polarize people that were in your life. They don't want to be around you anymore. Boy, you know how to ask the question. Do you know that? I talk about this in my book, let go or be dragged that there are certain people that will not go with you all the way. You know, life is like an elevator. And at certain points, you have to stop and let some people off because there are people who aren't going to grow at the rate that you're growing. I was in Chicago, and every year I came there to do a seminar. There was this couple that would be seated down front, and they just stood out to me, and I developed a relationship with them. And then I saw the wife sitting down in front of me, and the husband was on the other side. So I went over to him and said, man, why don't you come over and move over here with your wife? And he said, oh, she left me because I don't have anything. And I said, whoa, I'm sorry to hear that. So I was going toward her and she said, no, 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 no. I heard what he said. I didn't leave him because he didn't have anything. I left him because he didn't want anything. And so what's going on now when, while we're on lockdown, the people are now looking at each other who are dying together rather than growing together and asking the question, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? This is a time of reflection. My, my daughter said that, that lockdowns, that gaps are from God, that you have a chance to rethink your life, to rethink your relationships, to rethink the people that are in your life, their nourishing relationships, their toxic relationships. Toxic relationships drain you. They criticize you constantly. They, they are not good for your health. Uh, powerful, nourishing relationships, they hold you accountable. They challenge you. Uh, these are people that you learn from. Uh, you earn within two to $3,000 of your closest friends. These nourishing relationships of people that you want in your life that, that you know that as soon as that you, they know as, you know as much as they know, they no longer serve a purpose. You want people around you that you can grow from mentally and emotionally and spiritually and financially. 
that will take your life to the next level. You want to create collaborative, achievement-driven, supportive relationships. You and I, this is not just an interview. I guarantee you that you and I will have a lifetime of communication because we bring value to each other, okay? you helping me reach people that I could not reach by myself. So this is not just an interview to me. And so you, I will find ways to create value for you. And so when we find ways to create value for people, I teach people, ask for help, not because you're weak, but because you want to remain strong and ask for help and don't stop until you get it. I I didn't have the good fortune to have millions of dollars spent on me like Tony Robbins all around the world. All I have is my story and the ability to transform people's lives. That's the calling on my life. The speaking industry has been hijacked where people speak to sell. I speak to transform lives. And as a result, there are people who want to be a part of your life. They want your products. They want to come to your retreats or be a part of your mastermind. And so when you're living from your calling, a calling is something that you love so much, you do it for nothing, but you do it so well that people will pay you to do it. Les, you've spent your life telling stories about your life and have mastered the art of storytelling. Is there anything that you've kept close to your chest or you haven't revealed to the world? Yes, I reveal it in the book. My mother said, my mouth is like a refrigerator. I can't hold nothing. (laughs) Yes, I'm not going to tell it now. But I shared in the book because, Levin, we we are three-dimensional. We have a public life, we have a private life, and we have a secret life. And we're as sick as our secrets. And I went through an experience that was a living hell. And even though I argued with my kids about this, I said, I have got to tell this. I've got to. What they think about me is none of my spiritual business. What's most important is what I think about myself. Because that person is dead. I'm a new person. Yes, sir. I think I agree with that sentiment, Les. It's something I've become very comfortable with, sharing my deepest, darkest. And it's kind of cheating, really, because it's cathartic and it's healing for me. When I every time I share, I feel like a little wee chunk of it comes away, and That's true. and and that vulnerability, that accidental vulnerability, is very powerful in allowing other people to share their stories with me as well, which I I love. Yeah, I, but I can share it with you where I can share a training experience with you that will help you to learn how to strategically tell the story and distract, dispute, and inspire. How people live their lives, Levin, is a result of the story they believe about themselves. What you do with your story, you distract them from their story. And through the execution of your presentation and your show, you dismantle their current belief system and the vision they have of themselves. 
and ignite their spirit to release what Elizabeth Browning called the imprisoned splendor, to release that, their, their superpower, as Levin would say, and begin to live life on a whole other level. It's a strategy. It's an experience. Oliver Wendell Holmes said that once a man, a woman's mind has been expanded with an idea, concept, or experience, it could never be satisfied to going back to where it was. Why do you think, Les, that it's so important to live that authentic life, life rather than the opposite? I couldn't hear you say it again. Why do you think it's important to live that authentic life rather than the opposite? I saw a movie called The Truman Story. And, and this, his life was real, but everybody around him, they were performers. And when he discovered that he was a part of a performance, but he wanted to live an authentic more expansive life, he started looking for ways to escape. And the guy who set it up, when the question was asked, do you think he'll leave? And his answer was no. And the question was next, why not? And he said, most people accept the circumstances and the life that they have been given. And so I think that you and I are called to expand people's awareness of themselves. We are called to get people to connect with their superpower. Great is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You are more than a conqueror. You are made in the likeness and image of God. You've been given authority and dominion over everything on the face of the earth. In a book called Lessons in Truth, a lady named Katie said, man's primary cause of suffering is forgetfulness. We've forgotten who we are. Do you think with what's happening now around the world, Les, that we are about to, if we haven't already experienced a fundamental shift that's going to eventually lead to much better, much more positive lives? Without any question, in the middle of a surgery, it looks like a murder. <laughs> but on the other side, there's a healing. I just think that God said, you know what? There's so much drama going on here. Everybody go to your room. <laughs> and don't come out until I tell you. <laughs> I just think there's a spiritual dimension about this. There's something spiritual about this. And so I'm embracing it. I'm embracing it. My, my mindset is I'm going to do what I need to do to keep myself and my family and friends out of harm's way. I'm going to write, do interviews, journal, and develop a closer spiritual relationship with myself and with God. You know, religious people are afraid of going to hell. Spiritual people have been there. <laughs> I'm a firm believer that, and I will go on record, Liz, to say that COVID-19 is the single greatest thing 
to ever happen to me personally. Mm. Obviously, all the other stuff that's happened to people, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But for me personally, I'm pretty sure Les Brown wouldn't have been available for a podcast interview if he'd been out gallivanting <laughs> with no lockdown. Right. And I would have not have completed my book. I just completed it since the virus. That's so great. Is it out yet? Yes, they can go to I Am Hungry Less Brown. I Am Hungry Less Brown.com. I Am Hungry Less Brown.com. You got to be hungry, the greatness within to win. And so if they go to I Am Hungry Less Brown, they they can purchase the book and, and help us get it on the New York Times bestseller by spreading the word. But it's different. People who have read it said, I laughed, I cried. I started immediately working on my goals and dreams. I overcame procrastination and fear. It, it really sh- shocked me and, and, and jolted me into beginning to live my authentic life. I I look forward to reading it. I'm I haven't read it. I've seen hours and hours of you present. I'm a very visual person. I, I look forward to the audible version. Are you going to be recording it yourself? I'm recording after this interview. Really? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We need yes. to do our, our vocal warm ups. Our uh, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow. Boo, right. boo, boo. You doing that beforehand? <laughs> I'm, I'm exercising my throat as I talk to you. <laughs> Liz, I wonder if we might have time for one last story, if you're happy to share this. It's a, one I've heard a couple of times now, and I, I love it so much. It's so close to my heart with my father. The story about getting the job in radio, are you okay to share that? <laughs> it was a, a time in my life I was seeking to do something different because I wanted to buy my mother a home. And Mr. Washington asked me, Mr. Brown, what do you plan to do with your life? I said, I'd like to become a disc jockey. He said, here, uh, I, I, I know Milton Butterball Smith. I trained him. Go out to WMBM radio station and tell him that I recommended you. And I went out to the station. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you, sir? My name is Les Brown, sir. I, I like to be a disc jockey. And he said, young man, do you have any journalism in your background? I said, no, sir, I don't. You have an experience in broadcasting? No, but just let me audition for you, sir. Let me show you how good I am. And he said, no. I was devastated with rejection. I went back and I told Mr. Washington. I said, Mr. Washington, he said, no. He said, don't take it personally. He said, go back again. He said, you got to be hungry. I said, why do you say that? People that are hungry, unstoppable. People that are hungry, make no their vitamin. Go back again. I went back again. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you, sir? My name is Les Brown, sir. I like to be a disc jockey. Young man, weren't you here yesterday? Yes, sir. Didn't I tell you no yesterday? Yes, sir. Then why are you back today? Sir, I did not know whether or not somebody was laid off or somebody was fired, sir. No one was laid off or fired. Now, get on out of here. I came back the next day, talking loud, looking happy like I was singing for the first time. Hello, Mr. Butterball, how are you? I said, I'd like to know whether or not there's any position for a disc jockey. He said, weren't you here the last two days? Yes, sir. Didn't I tell you no? Yes, sir. 
And I didn't know whether or not someone died or someone got sick. No one died or got sick. No one was laid off or fired. Now, don't you come back here again. I came back the next day talking loud, looking happy like I'm seeing you for the first time. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you? He looked at me with rage. He said, go get me some coffee. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, the, my favorite book says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And so I served them. I became their errand boy. Now I'd go get them lunch and their dinner, and I'd stand in the control room, watching their hands on the control board, knowing my time will come. And then on the weekend, they will come out to the cars, and their cars would be clean, waxed, and clean inside out. And they'd say, hey, who did this? I did, sir. How much do you charge? Oh, nothing, sir. I just wanted to help out. I believe, give before you ask. And so they began to trust me. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. He said, here's my car keys. This is Fred Hanna, one of this jockeys. Donna Ross and the Supremes are coming to town, the Four Tops and the Temptations. I want you to pick them up and take them to the Fountain Blue Hotel on Miami Beach. I said, it'd be my pleasure, sir. I was driving these entertainers all over Miami Beach and the disc jockeys, big, long Cadillacs. I didn't have any driver's license, but I was driving like I had some. <laughs> and then one day, it was a Saturday afternoon, and a disc jockey by the name of Rockin' Roger was drinking while he was on the air. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was the only one there looking at him through the control room window, walking back and forth, young, ready, and hungry. I was saying, drink, rock, drink. Drink, rock. I'd have gone and get him some more if he'd asked me to. And then pretty soon the phone rang. It was a general manager. I said, hello. He said, young boy, this is Mr. Klein. I said, I know. He said, rock can't finish his program. I said, I know. He said, will you call one of the other DJs to come in? I said, yes, sir. I hung the phone up. I said, now, he must be think I'm crazy. I called my mama and my girlfriend, Cassandra. I said, y'all come out on the front porch and turn on the radio. I'm about to come on the air. I waited for about 20 minutes, and I called him back. I said, Mr. Klein, I can't find nobody. He said, do you know how to work the controls? I said, yes, sir. Go in there and segue the records, but don't you say nothing here. I said, yes, sir. I hung that phone up. I got a rock, old rock out of the way. I said, look out, this is me. LB, Triple P, Les Brown, your platter playing Papa. There were none before me and there will be none after me. Therefore, that makes me the one and only. Young and single and love to mingle, certified, bonafide, dutifully qualified to bring you satisfaction and a whole lot of action. Look out, baby, I'm your love man. I was hungry. <laughs> oh, Elise, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I think we should... Finish on that, because you can't top that. <laughs> well, I do want people to go to I Am Hungry Less Brown. I Am Hungry Less Brown. This book will change their lives and people they care about. And I thank you so much. I look forward to our communicating in the future. You have something special, Evan. You have greatness in you. God so loved the world. He, he spared you from all the drama you could have been going through for this point in time in history to let people know that their lives are worth it. Thank you so much, Liz.
I don't know what to say. It's been an absolute delight. I knew it would be. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Liz Brown. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.